Hi, welcome to One Chapel. We're a family of neighborhood churches in the Austin area. Our vision is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. It's a place to connect, grow, and serve the communities where we live. You can learn more about One Chapel and how to get involved at onechapel.com. And now, here's this week's message. As you know, we've been doing this series on work life and talking about it the last several weeks. And today I want to talk to you about your mission in work. Everybody say your mission. Your mission in work. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the grace that is in our lives to hear your word and then to apply it. I pray for revelation in every person and then for an understanding and a diligent, willing heart to obey. Do what only you can do in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to look at this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Genesis 1, verse 26, and we're going to kind of start at the, at the beginning of the Bible and the beginning of the big story, and I want to remind you of something that God did when he created humanity and what he, what he did when he created the world. Verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I want you to notice that right here in Genesis 1, humans are described as God's image bearers. We bear his image, who he is. And we are, in a sense, God's representatives here on earth. And I think there's two parts that we see in this passage, and it's in your message notes right here. The first thing, the first part is we reflect. We reflect him. We bear his image, but we're reflecting him as in a mirror. We are mirroring who God is back to him and to others. We bear essential aspects of what God is like in our humanity. And that was true at the very beginning. In the, in the created world, we reflect who God is. And number two, then, is we rule. We rule. <laughs> we rule. First thing God says is, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. And remember, if you were here a few weeks ago, that word rule, right, is kingly language in the Hebrew. And it means to reign or to have dominion. One Hebrew scholar translates it this way, to actively participate, sorry, to actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere. To actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere. Now in theology, as Bible scholars unpack the, the, the creation story, verse 28 is called the cultural or the creation mandate. I want you to read verse 28. Creation one, or Genesis 1.28 says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This is the creation or cultural mandate that humans 
are given. It's our first job description. It's the first job description. God make, makes humans in his image, and then he gives Adam and Eve a job description to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it, and to rule. Or to put it another way, go and create culture. Think about that. Go and create culture. And this cultural mandate breaks down into what I, we would call two callings, two callings on humans. And the first one would be to be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. You heard that a couple of times in those passages. In other words, make something of the social world. There's a social world going on. Get married, have sex. Have kids, start a family, but it also means more than this, more than that, because even when you're single, this mandate still exists on your life, because it also means to harness and make something of the social world. Harness and make something of the social world to make schools, to make churches, to make governments and institutions, to make language and ethnic groups, to make something out of the gatherings of people. That's your job. That's all of our jobs as it is originally defined. And the second calling here is to subdue, subdue and rule. To subdue and rule, which means to harness the natural world. To harness and make something of the natural world. Trees, rocks, rivers, energy, vitamins, minerals, beauty, music, art, to plant crops, to build houses, to invent technology, to design software, to compose music, to build bridges and cities, to make something of the natural world. That's what's being said here. It's a calling. It, it's your job. It's our job as human, as a human, as an image bearer of God, that's your job to make something of this world. Case in point, look at this in Genesis 2, just a, one chapter later, Genesis 2 verse 8, it says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all of all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah where there is gold 
Verse 12, the gold of that land is good, aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gion, which it, it, it winds through the entire land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, and it runs along the east side of Ashur. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Now, how many of you, as I'm reading that through, you're, you're, you're reading through portions of the Bible like this, and you're like reading it, and it's like, I don't know where these things are. And you get to the point, and you think, who cares about all these details? Who cares? Why is it even in there? Well, it's actually really important. Because here the author is saying, the garden is made up of raw materials. Raw materials. He talks about trees and rivers. And in the ancient world, trees and rivers were an incredible source of life. Right? There was so much that happened around rivers and trees. And he talks about gold and minerals and metals that are in the ground. See, here's what I want you to get. Eden, the Garden of Eden, is raw. And it's pure potential. Pure potential. Everybody say potential. potential. And then look at verse 15. Look at what God says to Adam. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Here's how Tim Keller, brilliant author and, and pastor, defines work. He says, work is rearranging the raw materials of a particular domain to draw out its potential for the flourishing of everyone. He's brilliant. That's why I quote him. Now, where does he get this idea? It's right here in Genesis 2. As a matter of fact, the word work, the word work in Hebrew is the word abad, which means to cultivate, to develop, or to draw out its potential. Think about that for a second to cultivate, to develop, or draw out potential. And here's something you need to know. The garden was not, or sorry, was, it, it was not static. It was dynamic. There was a dynamic aspect to the garden. Or to put it another way, creation was a project, not a product. Are you guys still with me? I can feel your wheels turning. Where is he going with this? Creation was a project to be entered into, not a product to be consumed. Which means that the garden was designed to go somewhere, to become something. And when you think about the Garden of Eden, don't think about it as a public park, like where God hands Adam a lawnmower and a pair of clippers and says, go and keep the park really nice. That's not what he was doing. Instead... Think of a wild, untamed wilderness. Hundreds of thousands of acres teeming with beauty and wildlife and minerals. And God says, okay, now go make a world. Go make a civilization. Go make roads and buildings and art and music. Take the raw materials and make something. That sounds like bearing the image of the creator, doesn't it? That's why when you get to the end of the story of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, 
When you get to the very end, you read about the future of the earth and when Jesus returns and, and when Jesus makes the world new again and he makes everything right. And John, the apostle John, writes about how we will live in what he calls the new Jerusalem here on the earth. And when he writes about this, he uses all sorts of Eden language. All sorts of Eden language from Genesis 1 and 2. And now, there's a, there's, in Revelation 21, 22, there's a tree of life in the middle of that city. And there's, there are rivers running through the city. And there's, there's no more curse on the ground in Revelation 21 and 22. He's clearly saying that we're back in Eden in a way. But this time it's not a garden. This time it's a city. It's a city that's been cultivated. Why is this? I mean, if Jesus comes to put the world back together because it's broken, then why doesn't he, why doesn't he take you and me back to the garden? Why does he take you and me to a city? Because the garden was never supposed to stay a garden. The garden was always supposed to become a garden-like city. The purest city that there could be. That's the original intent. But of course, here's the problem, right? There's a problem. Because we don't live in any garden-like cities, do we? The problem was sin. Sin enters into the world, the di disobedience, the reaching out and taking life into their own hands instead of trusting what God had told them. The fall, Adam and Eve, they sin in Genesis chapter 3 and they start making a mess of the world and their kids start killing each other. And, and then by Genesis 6, just six chapters into this story, God is lamenting that humans are destroying the world they were given. It actually, there's a verse that actually says that God was sorry that he had made man because every thought of every person was only evil all the time. And now we have a serious problem, see, because sin screws everything up. <laughs> if you were to take sin out of the story of the Bible, you'd be left with a pamphlet. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Genesis 1 and 2 and then Revelation 21 to 22. But sin, sin messes up everything. And, and the story of God in the Bible is how he deals with sin. The story of how he attacks it because the world is wild and in serious need of taming. It's chaotic and it needs order. It needs ruling. And whose job is it to rule? Oh, it's, oh, it's ours, humans. It's not God's. He put us in charge of it. God's saying, you're my representatives, you're my rulers here on earth. But now humans are a wreck in the story of the Bible. Humans are out of sync with God. And so as a result, instead of working the earth, instead of caring for the earth, instead of, instead of that, we are abusing the earth. And we need to be saved from ourselves. 
which is why Jesus came. Which is why Jesus came, because everything was being destroyed. The chaos, the disorder. Jesus came to make the world new by making you and me new. (laughs) That's the gospel. He came to make the world new by making you and me new. Which is why in the New Testament we are called the new creation. And one day Jesus is going to come and fix the entire cosmos and make it new again. But for now, he's starting with you and me. He's starting with you and me, making the world new again. And so Jesus came and did, are you guys still with me? I can feel you. You're really interested. (laughs) See, Jesus came and did what Adam and Eve were supposed to do. What you and I are supposed to do. Jesus came and started doing it, and that is to rule. He's called the Messiah. The Messiah, which is a word meaning the king or the king of the world. And so look at this in Matthew 28. Just before Jesus leaves his disciples, he says this in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It's in your message notes. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. I'm deputizing you. It's been given to me. I'm giving it to you now. You have authority. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them. Everybody say teaching them. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now theologians point out the parallels between the cultural mandate in Genesis 1 and which is be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue, rule. And what is called the Great Commission here in Matthew 28. So there's a parallel to follow, to disciple, to reveal, to restore, to go and make disciples of all nations. And theologians argue that what Jesus is doing is in light of sin and Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection, that he is rephrasing the original cultural mandate. And now it sounds like go and make disciples of all nations. Which means now you and I have a dual vocation. Say it together. Dual vocation. Again, remember, vocation means calling. It means you have a calling. So you and I have a dual vocation or calling that God wants us to fulfill. And we have the original calling or vocation from God to create culture, to uh, make technology, science, uh, medicine, art, to make people, family, schools, government. That's part of our original mandate and calling. This is a calling from God on all humans. All humans. But now we also have a second calling or vocation. And this is from God to go and make disciples, to help People come back to God to help them understand who he is and that he wants a relationship with them. That's what we're doing because what Jesus does is he starts to restore the image of God in you and me 
Right? He's restoring God's image in us so that you can reflect God and people can witness him in action. You can reveal what God is like and be an image bearer and you can rule here over the earth. If you read the end of your, of your Bible, what you will see is that's the position you'll fully be in, in at the end of time, ruling and reigning over the earth and living in a way that mirrors God. My point is that this is a both and, not an either or. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. The cultural mandate to work, to create, to subdue and rule, the great commission to follow, disciple, reveal, and restore, it's not one or the other. It is both. Now listen to me. Listen to me. The majority of you, the majority of people tend to pick one. Some people, maybe you're like this, really passionate about your work and what you do. And so they work tons of hours. It just kind of consumes and takes over their life. And, but when was the last time you shared Jesus with somebody? Others have the opposite problem. You, you love to share the gospel with people. So excited to talk about Jesus. But you are a lousy employee. Listen, everybody, when you're a lousy employee who loves Jesus, that doesn't work well together. It doesn't work. It doesn't work for you. It doesn't work for God's purpose. If you're, if you're, if you're the dude in the cubicle and you're, and you're getting like paid to design software, to manage accounts, but you're just sitting in your cubicle reading the Bible, <laughs> Jesus is not into that. He's like, put your Bible down, dude, and do your job. And Jesus is a fan of the Bible. Like, like I think he's like the author. You know what I'm saying? It's like, so there's a time and place for you to read the Bible and pray. 6.30 a.m. all this week at one chapel. And there's a time and place to manage your accounts. And you need to take both seriously. Yes, win people to Jesus, but as well, what you're doing on your job matters. It matters no matter what it is. I said this last week, that I think the followers of Jesus need to be known as the best employees around. And I long for the day when Dell and Apple and IBM and Amazon and Indeed come knocking on the doors of the churches because they, they're saying, do you, do you have any people who need jobs because your people show up to jobs on time and they're ready to work with a great attitude. Your people are responsible and we love them to get hired. They love to bring energy and life to every job they have. See, it's both and that you and I have to embrace. What you do matters. Your work matters. Creating culture matters. Which is why we need to be involved in all kinds of cultural pursuits. The, the, the monasteries of the past were not the perfect illustration of what we're called to. Because they hid away from creating culture, the mandate. You may think that Jesus isn't into your job, but no, he's into your job. He's trying to get in. He's trying to be there with you. He's trying to communicate to those other people. And if you're creating shalom, right, peace 
in your job, he's there. He's like wanting to be there with you in every relationship. People who don't know who Jesus is, he's with you. And so how you work matters. And how you carry the gospel, the good news of Jesus matters. You have a dual vocation. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9 says, After all, who is Apollos? Who is, Apo- who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believed the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. See, it's, oh, 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 if I could do a whole message right now on this. God is working. One of our fundamental values at One Chapel is the presence of God. When you believe that God is present and active among you at work, at school, at home, with your family, with your friends, when you believe he's active and present, you're always looking to collaborate. But you got to believe he's there. God's the one who's working, trying to make things grow Verse, seven says the, verse 8 says the one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose and both will be rewarded for their own work, their own hard work for we are both God's workers and you are God's field, you are God's building. And here, I want to explain something to you. The Apostle Paul is talking about work and he's using gardening imagery, right? And, and so he's talking about his job, which is church planting, right? That's Paul's job. But this rings true no matter what job you're doing. And he's saying that it's like gardening and how we labor and how we toil. In other words, you and I carry the work of Adam and Eve. We, we carry on the work of Adam and Eve in the world today. And, and then he drops this line at the end of this passage in verse 9. He says, for we are both God's workers. The word for workers, if you peel back the meaning, is actually the word co-workers co-workers in the original Greek language that this was written in. And in the original Greek language, it's not saying that Paul and Apollos are co-workers. It's actually saying that Paul and Apollos and God are co-workers. See, we are not just God's employees. You are not just God's employee. We don't simply work for God, as we talked about last, last week, like the mindset of working for him rather than for your stinky boss, right? That's a really important idea, but we're not just God's employees. We are actually God's co-workers, co-workers, and we're working alongside God. And what's the difference between partners and employees? What's the difference between partners and employees? Ownership. Ownership. Think about it this way. If you work in a coffee shop and you're a barista and, you, and there's a rush of 30 customers at 8 a.m. as an employee, you're working for essentially all those people at one time, negative 50 cents an hour, and, and you'd be complaining and feeling aggravated because you feel real stressful and, and, and ti- it's tiring. But if you're a partner and you're working that espresso machine, how do you feel? You're on top of the world. People are coming. It's happening. Life is, this is the best You're working the exact same job, but in one mindset, you feel a rush. Why? Because you're a partner. You feel ownership. You feel you're you're doing something. My point is that when you go to work tomorrow, you're partners with God. 
You're partners with him. Not, you're not just an employee of your company. You're a partner with God. You're taking the world somewhere. You're not just a mom changing dirty diapers. You're not just a software developer dealing with like really annoying people. <laughs> you're not just dealing with the marketing department. There's something else going on. You're fulfilling the original call for God's humans, being fruitful and filling the earth and subduing it and ruling over God's creation. You're a modern-day Adam and Eve. And the world is a garden. And God is looking for partners. God is looking for partners. This is your vocation. This is your call. This is your mission. And that's why I want to challenge you. I want to give you a project this week. Ushers, why don't you go to your stations? Today I'm going to charge you with an idea. Every one of you, I want to receive an envelope like this. And what is in this envelope is one of the most valuable things you could ever receive or any of us could ever have. No, it's not $50. (laughs) There's something in here that I want you to, I want you to begin to understand as part of your vocation because if if I had to guess, when we look at the scale of which vocation you typically spend more time and energy on. The first vocation, to create culture in the world, or the second vocation, to make disciples. My guess is most of you, the amount of hours, the amount of focus, would be towards that first vocation. I I wanna challenge you to move the needle a little bit to realize you're partnering with God in a way that is unique in the world. So I want you guys to start passing these envelopes out, but here's what, here's, here, hang on just a second. Sorry, you're the experimental service. Hang on. (laughs) What's inside of here is a list of 10 people just 10 people living in our city. In the old days, we used to cut up the phone book. Do you remember the, some of you are like, what's a phone book? <laughs> we cut up the phone book, names, you know, everybody was in the phone book. Everybody's information is, is available. And so we got, we got some, people's, some people's names and they're on a little, a little sheet of paper, 10 names. And I want to charge you to pray for them by name every single day this week for Seek First. And I want you to go even further into September praying for them. Because not only do I want you to pray for these people by name. See, I think we have to realize, we have to be reminded over and over again, we're here to partner with God for something unique and powerful. 
I want to remind you, you are here to partner with him. And you don't have to know everything about what's going on in that person's life because God already knows. But I'll give you some coaching, how to pray. Each of the daily prayer focus is going to help you pray for these names. And you take those names and you pray for them as long as you keep going into September. And sometime over the next six weeks, I want you to take one of the 10 postcards that's inside here. And I want you to write a note to that person. I want you to write a note of blessing. A note that says, I'm praying for you. And I want you to have peace and strength in your life. Now, I want you to be willing to do that. Be ready to do that. Let God trigger when you should do that. How you should do that. I don't want you to write all your own stuff or weird visions you got last night when you prayed for them. Okay. I, w- <laughs> I have some, I have, a, I, have, I have a suggested copy that I want you to write. <laughs> Highly suggested. Because right? I want you to be careful, right? I want you to be careful. these people's lives are in your hands. They're in God's hands, but he's like giving them to you and saying, I want you to pray. And we have to get used to that, that God's placed us here for that. To be attentive to others, to pray for them, to love him and to love them. Right? And you may never meet this person. They may get that thing in the mail and be like, oh, a bunch of weirdos. And then, and <laughs> guess what? The prayer still sticks. Okay. All right, ushers, you can start handing it. Just pass them, pass them out. Everybody, there's enough for one. Oh, did I hit you with that? Okay, good. There's, there's enough for everybody to take one if you want to. You could take one per family if you want to, but there's enough for every single person to take one. And I would encourage you to take one. I want us to, um, I want us to, once, once we're through passing them out and you're holding them in your hand, we're gonna kind of say a, a prayer over them together. And then we're going to come to the Lord's table, okay? Going to come to the Lord's table in a way that, that says, Jesus, this is really all about you. It's, it, it's not about you, me. You, you put me here to reflect you, right? Remember that. Oh, you put me here to be an image bearer of you. So I'm doing the work that you gave me to do, but man, I, I sure want people to see you. And, and the table of the Lord, you know, it illustrates a couple of things. It illustrates your provision, God's provision for you to be able to do this. Oh, I'm scared, Pastor Ross. I don't want, I don't want to write anybody a note. That seems weird. I don't know if I can. Listen, Jesus will give you the provision you need, the, the strength you need, the nourishment you need, the understanding you need, the revelation you need to, to be courageous. 
courageous. See, you and I have to become more courageous in the culture we live in. We're too quiet. We let the, the people, we let a lot of people speak for us. I want you to speak for yourself. I want you to speak for, for what God is doing in your heart as you pray for people. All right? Are we good, ushers? Do we get everybody, get everybody passed? Okay? Come on. I want you to uh, hold it up with me. Hold it up to the Lord. Father, we raise these names to you. We don't even know what those names are yet. But just like so often in our lives, when you bring people across our path, Lord, we, we want to be the kind of people that are thinking about your purpose, your desires, your plans. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for just thinking about our own plans. Forgive us for being consumed in one job when you gave us two jobs. Forgive us, Lord Jesus, for doing our own thing when you called us and put us here to do your thing. So Lord, we lift these names to you and we commit to pray over them for the next six weeks through, through the end of September and into October. We, we commit our lives to pray. We commit our hearts to pray for them by name and we ask you to do a powerful, incredible work. Who knows, Lord, could this be the beginning of a revival, of a revelation of who you are in our city? Could we be the ones to spark it by prayer and by willingness? Lord, give us courage to write those postcards at the right time, at the right moment, and to listen to your voice. Lord, we want to seek you first and then let everything else be added. We seek you for these people. We ask you to do a miracle in their lives. Bless them in every way. Bring peace into their chaotic lives. Bring your direction into their souls. Father, help them to understand who you are. Reveal yourself by your spirit. We pray over them and we thank you for them. And we commit to this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, you can learn about groups, teams, and more at onechapel.com welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11.30 a.m. See you next time.